0: The psalmist bluntly reminds us that God is kind, just, and patient, that God is always loving, that is God's relentless nature with us. And the psalmist too reminds us that God is universally good to all people, no exceptions, and that God takes exquisite care with this created order in which we live and work. All around us, people are telling stories about God's kindness, and we can revel in its signs of grace and justice and peace. Welcome. We are glad that you're here on this Sunday. All are welcome here at this church. Friends, if you will, join us for a coffee hour outside and down to your left on the Circle Terrace. Do stay a bit and greet old friends and welcome new Your bulletin is a valuable guide to the life and ministry of the church. It's a guide to where to be involved, where to plug in, and where to revel in the activities and ministries of our church. And our pastors and staff can help you with any questions that you might have. On our website, there are places to register and to sign up and to be a part of the life of the church. We have a beautiful garden growing out here on the Hill Street lot and there's a place for you to come and to water and to help harvest. We've already sent a number of herbs and other good veggies in the direction of food gatherers, and your help is greatly appreciated. We're also preparing to welcome refugees here in our Ann Arbor Washtenaw community. The flow has already begun, and we encourage you to make gifts of household items and to prepare to be a part of that ministry. We're very excited for... Daniel Irvin, and for his ordination. It will take place today in this space at 3 p.m., and we invite you all to be a part of that. We do extend a special welcome to Daniel's family, to Joyce, and to John, and to many others who have traveled from their homeland in North Carolina, and please give them a warm and hearty welcome. We're also pleased to welcome the Reverend Dr. Paul Galbraith, professor at Union Seminary. And Paul will be preaching for Daniel's service today. Please greet all of these folks with a hearty and gracious time. The 222nd General Assembly of our Presbyterian Church has wrapped up its proceedings in Portland, Oregon. We have done some amazing things. We've elected as co-moderators Denise Anderson and Jan Edmiston, and J. Herbert Nelson as the new stated clerk for our denomination both are historic and important signs of a new future in our church. We also have a new confession to go in our book of confessions, the Confession of Belhar. We've taken important steps and you can read all about it at pcusa.org. As J. Herbert Nelson, our new stated clerk, has put it, as a church we are not dead. In fact, we are very much alive, reforming and transforming the church and the world one person at a time. I do say to keep in your prayers, our young people, a group has traveled to Montreat for the Worship and Music Conference with Tom Granham, and our Keystones, our high school group, is on their way back to Ann Arbor after a mission week in Indiana. Today at 1045, we continue for a time for conversation after worship with Connect Ed. It's a conversation about the text for today, the major themes, and about the sermon and message it meets in the French room downstairs. And in the coming weeks, we'll have a conversation around 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life, a book by Karen Armstrong. Our worship, our preaching, and conversations will center around the chapters in the book. They're for sale in the church office. You can also buy them online. But we encourage you to be about reading this wonderful, simple text from Karen Armstrong. And to preserve the reverence of our worship, I encourage you to please silence all your electronic devices. And I would say that no concern is too great or too small that it might draw the loving attention of our great and kind God. The team will be behind the piano here to my left and your right in Hillegons Chapel at the close of worship. And now, let us pray together. Most wonderful God, the universe cannot contain your glory. You come to us not as a stranger, but as a dear friend. Speak each of our names this day. That we may be called away from the noise of the world to know that you love us and you hold us deep in your heart. Bless our worship with grace that we may know ourselves, know you, and leave this place able to serve with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. Amen and amen. Please join me in our call to worship. I ponder the glorious splendor of your majesty. And all your marvelous works. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. So is the anger and of great kindness. O Lord, you are loving to everyone.
1: And you are faithful.
0: that we have it all together and have not done anything wrong, we are delusional. We're not fooling God, but if we're honest and vulnerable, God will be gracious and will welcome us and forgive us. And not only that, God will transform us and make us witnesses to the good news of God in Jesus Christ. So let us be honest with ourselves as we confess together. Let us pray. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen and amen. As a mother does not forsake a nursing child, so God will not abandon or forget us, even in our weakness. In hope of this promise, we can show God all our faults and all our brokenness, all our failures. That's why we come to confess. And because we know that, God will not turn us away, but God will embrace us, does embrace us, and does forgive us, friends, in Jesus Christ, we are loved and forgiven. that is the deep good news of God, and in that good news and in forgiveness, we can dare to greet one another with a peace that passes all understanding. Friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. please greet one another with.
2: us pray Eternal God in the reading of the scripture may your word be heard in the meditations of our hearts may your word be known and in the faithfulness of our lives may your word be shown amen The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 5 verses 5 through 10 In the same way Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest but was appointed by God, who said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says also in another place, You will be a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In his days on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and requests with loud cries and tears to God, who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. But even though he was God's son, He learned obedience through his suffering. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest according to the priestly order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Going to join me here on the front steps of the chancel this morning. Come on down, kids. Come and join me down here. Come on down. So good to see you guys. Out of school. It's a great time of the year. So delighted to see you guys. Come and join me here. Hi, guys. Hi, fellows, ladies. How are you all? So I've got a few things here for you. I've told you guys before that I'm a gardener, and um, so I have another story about gardening. Actually, Pastor Angela is going to read this story, and so I thought I'd give us a head start. Listen carefully, Jesus said to us, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the dirt, dead to the world, it never is more than one grain of wheat. Think about that. But if it's buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself and grows many times over. If you let it go, in the same way, anyone who holds on to life, just as it is, destroys life. But if you let life go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. If any of you guys want to follow Jesus and serve Jesus, follow me. Hmm. That's kind of out there. So I thought about this. Unless a single carrot is buried in the ground dead to the world, it's never more than one carrot seed. So I brought some carrot seeds. You almost need a microscope to see them. They're so tiny, but I'll pour out a few here. So a couple of weeks ago, back in early May, when the ground got warm enough, I planted carrots. It's June. Nothing has grown. So I've watered them, I pulled the weeds and the grass out, and I watered them again, and this week I broke the top of the soil and little bitty carrot sprouts. They're little green things, little big bitty spriggy things. And they began to grow. So I've watered them and weeded all around them. And carrots are starting to grow. So do you guys like carrots? You yeah. know? You guys like carrots out there? Yeah, we like carrots. Well, carrots do grow here in Michigan. They're wonderful. The soil's great. And they'll be in the ground for a good long time. But Started thinking about this whole thing. Started thinking about how this seed produces, why, pursue, produces a plant. And finally we get carrots back maybe in August, maybe in September. We plant seeds and when the ground gets warm and the sun comes out and it rains on them and we water them, they grow and produce carrots, the ones we eat. It reminded me of a story, a story by Demi. Once the Chinese emperor was looking for a new prime minister to be in charge of all of China. And so the Demi brought all together all the children of China and challenged all the kids to bring the greatest power in the world. Some brought weapons, thinking the weapons were the greatest power. Others said the most beautiful people had the most power in the world, so people spent a lot of time at the spa trying to be really beautiful. The brainy kids all pointed to the power of technology and pointed to all the great inventions of China. And of course, another group of kids thought that money was the greatest power in the world. Well, one little girl named Little Singh thought and thought about it, and she brought one seed. She brought one seed to the emperor. It was the seed of a, lo- a, lo- a lotus. When the emperor asked what it was, she said that this seed when planted, produces a wonderful and beautiful plant, which produces lots of food for many people and more seeds for the future. She said to the emperor that it gives life, which is the biggest gift of the universe. Of course, she became the new prime minister. The story's a little bit about Jesus' story, that in his life, he's like a seed that he grows. And as we watch Jesus grow, We know that he told stories about people. He healed people who were sick. He talked with kids like you guys. He saw that hungry people had food to eat and made sure that people were treated fairly. And then he died and was buried and then he rose again. He was resurrected and he comes to give us life. God is like this giant seed that's planted among us that comes to life and gives us even more life. So I hope you'll remember these stories and hope you remember that from just a tiny seed, a tiny seed of our faith in God and what God's going to do, amazing things can happen and even carrots can grow. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for seeds. God, thank you for seeds. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for our lives today. And thank you for our lives today. Amen. Okay, guys, thanks so much. You can go back and see your folks. Thanks for coming.
1: Today's
3: gospel reading comes from John chapter 12, and I will be reading it from the Message Version. There were some Greeks in town who had come up to worship at the feast. They approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip together told Jesus. Jesus answered, Time's up. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Listen carefully. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, You will have it forever real and eternal this is the word of the Lord there's an old saying in Korean that goes something like this when an animal dies it leaves behind its hide when a person dies he leaves behind his name when you die What do you dream of leaving behind? How would anyone know that you had ever even lived? I often think about my funeral. I know it's a morbid thing to think about this beautiful Sunday morning. But I wonder how I will be remembered by others who would come to my funeral. And what did people say about me at my funeral? I think funerals say a lot about how a person has lived. How would you want to be remembered? In today's Gospel reading, we see two Greeks who want to see Jesus. Just a couple days ago, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and the word spread about this miracle. Jesus had just come to Jerusalem for Passover, and everyone cheered for him. He was quite a celebrity. So when Andrew and Philip find him, Jesus says, the time has come for me to be glorified. Sure, that sounds about right. But then he goes on to say, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What? Why are you talking about dying, Jesus? You are at the height of your fame. Well, it so turns out Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. Jesus knew that it was through his death and resurrection that a movement would start, a worldwide movement that will change the landscape of the entire world for centuries to come. In light of his impending death, Jesus tells us that becoming great does not mean to die as a big name, a hot shot, but becoming great requires our death that will lead to the production of many seeds. Certainly, Jesus showed us this firsthand. He died the most humiliating death on the cross, taking the place of a murderer, leaving behind only the task of transforming the entire world in the hands of the most unlikely, motley crew of hot-tempered fishermen, outcasts, tax collectors, and prostitutes. But it worked. And if that doesn't give us hope for the church, I don't know what does. As Jay had mentioned earlier, our 222nd General Assembly had just concluded in Portland, Oregon, with new possibilities and some amazing people to lead our denomination forward. And our new stated clerk, J. Herbert Nelson's quote, resonated in my heart. We're not dead. We're alive. We're reforming and we're transforming this world one person at a time. But this reminded me of G.K. Chesterton's quote, Christianity has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many deaths, many times, and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. Isn't it true that death, is something empires worry about and not something resurrection people worry about. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, but I have been told that the only cell that does not die naturally is a cancer cell. So then, we should not be fearful at the prospect of the church dying if we are at that point because that tells us three things. We are not an empire. We're not cancerous. And new life is about to be born. God is doing a new thing. So then, how does new life come about? I think it's pretty significant that in our passage today, the two Greeks came to see Jesus. Greeks were considered to be Gentiles. Non-Jews, it is with their coming, Jesus says, my time has come. In other words, Jesus' time to be glorified is the moment of his death when through it, many people who were never considered holy before, who were considered unclean, will be welcomed into the family of God. Perhaps so it is with the church. A new life comes about in the church when we embrace those who are different from us, those who do not have much to offer, those who have been marginalized by the society. Are we doing that? Are we embracing such people as a church, as a denomination? Because this text tells us today that when we do so, there will be new life. Today is a happy day when my dear partner in crime will be ordained as the teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church, USA. I want to officially welcome you to your new grave, my friend. (laughs) I say this because this odd and wondrous calling has a way of putting your old self to death when God brings very special people into our lives, people who we might never have thought about talking to, let alone eat with. But eventually, those people become the very object of our love and investment. We start to dream through them and for them. And together with them, we start to dream of transforming the world, investing into the next generation and the next, and soon you discover that the person that you had started out as is no longer the same person you end up becoming. I believe this is what happens to all of us when we recklessly let it go in God's love, when we follow Jesus' call to invest in people and not in things. Prior to enrolling in seminary, I had been a high school English teacher for about five years. The really neat thing about being with high school students is that they're so much fun, except when they're not. (laughs) I had my own share of not-so-much-fun students during my teaching career. And when you have a classroom full of them, you literally have a class from hell. <laughs> my eighth period sophomore English class some years ago was such a class. I tried to reason with them, I cajole them, I bribed them, and then I started yelling at them, I called their parents, gave out one detention after another, sent them down to their dean, had my department chair come and tell me what I was doing wrong you know you've completely lost it when you beg your supervisor to come and observe your worst class ever. (laughs) This class never changed until a couple of weeks before the school got out. One fine spring day, they begged me to have the class outside. They promised that they would behave tempted by the prospect of having a peaceful class for once, I gullibly took them out, and you already know the story isn't going to end well. Zach Fisher, one of the ringleaders, who was also miserably failing my class, got into one mischief after another, dragging others down with him. After spending most of the period chasing him around, I finally called him aside and I started to yell at him. You know what your problem is? He looked at me with a smirk on his face and said, I'm failing your class. I said, no, well, yes, but right now, no. (laughs) Your problem is, you are a leader, that's your problem. You do one thing and everybody else follows you. He shook his head emphatically and said, What? Me? A leader? No way. I've never been a leader of anything in my life. You're wrong. I'll prove it to you. In a shouting match, I said, Fine, prove me wrong. And he said, Fine, I will. And that was that. I shook my head hopelessly and I walked away. Something marvelous started happening for the last two weeks of school, however. Zach actually started bringing his books to class. He actually started reading and doing his work. He participated in class discussions and even took notes. Other classma- classmates were baffled, as, I, as so was I. They didn't know what to make of his behavior. I didn't quite know what to make of it either. What's going on? What is he smoking? (laughs) But whatever it was, I liked it. One day, we just naturally got talking after class, Zach and I, and I asked him cautiously, so I've noticed your behavior in class has changed. Is everything okay? and he said this to me. Miss Rio, you were the first teacher to tell me that you believed in me. Other teachers might have thought so, but you were the only one who said it. I decided that I was going to live up to it. I had no idea that that's what I told him. All I remember was yelling at him on top of my lungs out of sheer anger. But he took that as me believing in him. I learned an important lesson that day. Everyone is waiting for people to believe in them, to invest in them and dream through them. Is the church doing that today? Is our denomination doing that? Is First Press investing in those who may be different or the most vulnerable in our community? Are we investing into the future of the church and all of the ones who will come after us? Reinhold Niebuhr once said this, Nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we are saved by love. No virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as it is from our standpoint. Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. We live in very confusing and painful times. Orlando Massacre, Brexit, flooding in West Virginia, our state of current presidential election, and the list goes on and on. When we focus on these things alone, nothing seems to make sense and nothing seems to be making a difference. But let's take a step back and see the bigger picture of God's kingdom. I would like to see us lay down our lives for something that's greater than ourselves. It might be for an unforeseeable future. But with faith as our sight, we trust that God will make an impact on the generations to come through the ministries of this church. Although Martin Luther King Jr. fought for the rights of of his people, he was assassinated before he could see his dream come to full fruition. Although he could not see the completion of his work, He was able to pass on the work that he was doing to the next generation. I believe it was because he had a dream. He was able to leave a legacy because he was fighting for something that was greater than himself, a dream that was based on the kingdom principle of equality and justice for all. Remember his I Have a Dream speech? Notice how he didn't say, I have a plan, but he said, I have a dream. You don't die for plans, but a dream that is beyond yourself, beyond your generation, a dream that advances the kingdom of God and is in the very fabric of God's narrative. Now that's a dream that we can die for. Martin Luther King Jr. did not see his dream become a reality, but he died for it. We can dream big dreams because we don't have to complete it in our lifetime. Let me close with this question. If you are offered a kernel of corn or a diamond three times the size of that kernel, which would you choose? Isn't it obvious that everyone would take the diamond? The diamond is beautiful and expensive. The corn is cheap and ordinary. However, think about what one kernel of corn is capable of doing. If you were to plant the kernel of corn and bury the diamond under the ground, which would yield more profit after 50 years? After a hundred years, the diamond would remain the same, a single diamond. However, the corn would have produced many more corn, surpassing the value of the diamond. And even long after you're gone, the kernel of corn will flourish and continue to produce harvest, while the diamond, as beautiful and valuable as it is, will remain only a single diamond, without any reproductive power or potential to be more valuable than it already is. Now, which one would you choose? Is your dream like the diamond? Or is it like the corn? The kingdom narrative is long and winding. Our dream is to be part of that story which God is writing with us and to pass on the baton when we are called to do so. Don't leave your name when you die. Leave a legacy, a movement that will continue on even long after you're dead. Don't strive to leave your name on a tablet, but rather in the lives of people just as Jesus did. May you dream... dreams rather than diamond dreams. And may the harvest of such dreams shine brighter than all the diamonds of this world combined as you let it go in God's reckless love. Amen and amen.
4: Every Sunday on the first day of the new creation, this church throws wide open its doors to welcome all at the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. All are welcome here, members, friends, and guests. You are welcome. I ask you to take a moment this morning to welcome one another by passing the friendship pads in your pews, noting who you are worshiping with this morning. Also, take a moment to write legibly your email address, particularly if you are a guest, so that we might be able to welcome you more fully in the days ahead. Notice that many around us are wearing name tags this morning. Those help us to build fellowship with one another, and they are available to everyone. You can sign up for those on our church website. Friends, God has planted great dreams, and we are called to harvest and to return to God those first fruits of what we have been given, I invite the ushers to come forward to receive our gifts. to serve you and love you by serving and loving our neighbors as ourselves, O God. Thank you for this calling that you have planted within each and every one of us. Thank you for our ability to serve others with the resources we have at our fingertips. Guide us as we discern your call to service and what that means to us personally and as a congregation. Lead us down your path, O Lord, encouraging us to show Christ to others when we serve. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. God of carrots, God of seeds, God of cloud and fiery pillar, you lead the people, you lead us into the wilderness and also lead us out. When we have grown complacent, lead us into the wilderness of self-awareness, of change, of risk-taking. When we are in the wilderness of despair, though, however, we ask that you make straight our path, a highway to your promised land of hope and life. Give us courage to follow wherever you lead us so that we may be faithful doers of your will in your world. God, our only sovereign, you alone remain steadfast while the nations rise and fall. Be with all of us who are subject to the whims and powers of political and economic forces. Lend your wisdom to those who lead that they may choose what is good in your sight. Raise up prophets to confront that which is wrong, that which is unjust, hateful, and evil. Confront our lack of political imagination with the image and dreams of your peaceable kingdom, so that we might be servants of your kingdom before all others. God in community, Your spirit is the mother of the church around the world. We give you thanks for her presence in the general assembly of our denomination, for her lure towards justice, towards reconciliation and peace. Give us ears to hear the spirit's calling to unity, so the church in its many expressions may be reconciled to itself, to all people, and to you. Build up our church, O God, not in strength and mighty power, but in humility and faithfulness, so that we may witness to the way of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, who loves the world, your Son, Jesus Christ, remains a friend to all in need. Gather into the shadow of your wings those who grieve and no longer feel safe, particularly in the wake of Orlando and all other acts of violence on this earth. Pour out your mercy and healing on those in our community and congregation who suffer from illness. Teach us the ways of your mercy so that we too may befriend the lonely, the sick, the homeless, and the outcasts, that we too might love the world as you love it. And now, to the Creator who makes this world good, with the Son who dwelt among us, and through the Spirit who feeds us even now, we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts,
3: go forth and dream big dreams. May you dream corn dreams. May you dream kingdom dreams. May you dream God-sized dreams. And as you learn to fall and die, may you be born to new life each and every day. May the everlasting love of the Father and the ever-flowing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the ever-present fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.